Gracious God, speak to us in the power of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainers. Lord, power, empower us this morning to understand more what it means to understand this very difficult thing and the importance of the Trinity in our lives, this three-in-one. Pour that into our time together here and also pour into how that works together with our song for this Sunday that also speaks to all of this. So pour into our time together now. In Jesus Christ's name we ask for your wisdom and discernment. May the words that I say be acceptable and pleasing to you. And the people of God said together, Amen. So today is Trinity Sunday. Now, the word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible anywhere, so you're not going to be able to find that. However, in, if you're following along in the app, you will see lots of things that connect with that this morning. But there is an analogy for it going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis And when we say the Apostles' Creed, that I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, and one Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe in the Holy Ghost of the Holy Spirit, we see it clearly there that it's one of our major beliefs. But what does all that mean? Have you ever thought about what it means to understand this mystery of the Trinity? We say we only believe in those things that we can touch or feel or see or understand. But that's not really true, is it? We've mentioned before, but there are all kinds of things like we use a microwave, but few of us can really explain how the microwave works unless we Googled it. It didn't even start off as a way to be able to cook food. That wasn't why it was created. We drive cars daily. Most of us have no idea how the key connects to all the intricacies of the engine. And when it doesn't work, we don't really know what to do besides go and wiggle things and touch stuff and push on it and see if something just flew off of it. We turn a light switch on. We take medicine, yet I bet most of us don't even know what's in our medicine or how it really does the work that it's supposed to do. We believe in love, but can anyone here show me love? We believe in the wind, but you've never seen the wind. You've only seen the effects of it. And so you think that it's true. In most cases, in most things, we believe because we see the effects, not the thing itself. And of all the Christian doctrines, the Trinity is the most difficult to comprehend. It is the mystery of all mysteries. And while a full grasp of the doctrine of the Trinity eludes us all, we see the effects of the Trinity daily. We do not have to understand the mystery of the Trinity in order to believe and experience what the Trinity has to offer. One writer says, if you try to understand the doctrine of the Trinity, you may lose your mind. And if you deny it, 
you will lose your soul. St. Augustine, a giant of the faith, took 35 years to write 15 volumes called About the Trinity, and he was constantly updating it. Louise, have you read those 15 volumes? You have? Rick, have you read those 15 volumes? Oh, Rick. God will get you, Louise, for lying. Augustine realized that he was trying to fit the great mysteries of God into his mind, and it was never done. It was never finished. Today I'm going to do my best to explain the unexplainable and miserably fail at it, because that's the only way you can do it, and pray the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit does instead, which is give us wisdom and discernment beyond our own measure that you might be able to, through that power, be able to understand better for you what the Trinity is all about. First of all, when you say the Trinity, what does that mean? And where do we find evidence of it in Scripture? The term Trinity has its origin in the Latin and Greek language. It comes in two parts. Tri or three. Unity. So the best way to complete the term is three in unity. So try in unity is literally to try unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then the Godhead, there are three persons, we've heard that before, who are neither three gods nor three parts of God, but are co-equally and co-eternal with God. And the doctrine of the Trinity serves to answer two very important questions about God. First, what is God? What is God? And the answer is a oneness of divine substance. A oneness of divine substance. God is one. The ultimate reality of perfect power and love and goodness. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So first of all, the Trinity is not about polytheism. It's not about multiple gods. God is one. One divine substance. A oneness. But God is three. So second, who is God? The threeness of Father and Son and Holy Ghost. One and three. God has three expressions of power, love, and goodness shown to us in Scripture. Revealed at first at creation. The concept of the Holy Spirit was not new at Jesus' time. The Spirit of God was on the scene in the beginning of Genesis. Don't believe me? Genesis 1-2 says, The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters at the creation. So at the very beginning, before there was a church or the New Testament, the Spirit of God was present. And one of the names given God by the Hebrews, Elohim, is a plural noun and best defined this way. Divine ones. So one of the words that defines God is plural. Think about that. And God said, let us make man in our image. That's what the text says. After our likeness from Genesis 126. 
And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1 through 3, that's a plural. The Word was separate from God, and yet still one. The plurality of God has eternally existed from before the creation of time. God the Father, divine creator of all. God the Son reveals the plan by bringing it into time and existence. And prior to creation, time did not exist. And then God the Holy Spirit reveals the divine plan to the heart of us. Each part of God has a role in the story. One of the better known scriptures is at Christ's baptism in all three of the Gospels. This is from Luke 3.21 and following. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son with whom I love, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. You see in that text right there, all three are present. All three. The voice comes from heaven. Who's the voice from heaven? That was the weakest thing I ever said. No, it's not always Jesus is the answer. I get that, but I know you got this one. Who is the voice from heaven? God the Father. Who's the one receiving the baptism? Jesus, you got that one. That's awesome. And the dove is what? The Holy Spirit. Three in one, the Trinity is all present at this, the biggest moment before Jesus is driven to the wilderness by who? The Holy Spirit to begin the earthly ministry. At the Great Commission, therefore, Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the what? Father and of the who? The Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words. Some of his last to us. In today's text, also the last week and the week before, we've been working through this. This is John sixteen thirteen. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus has been talking about the Father and Him as being one. And He begins to talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit will come and take over what He's doing and open everybody's eyes and their hearts. In John, very often, the Trinity is present around and around. And then the life of Paul and the disciples and the apostles' writings and the benediction of 2 Corinthians 13, 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Most benedictions included all three parts of the Trinity. In 1 Peter 1, 2, God the Father chose you because of what He knew beforehand. He chose you through the work of the Holy Spirit of making you holy and because of the faithful obedience and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 3. I encourage you to look throughout all of Scripture and you'll find lots of these moments when you just kind of didn't realize that all three were present at the same time. 
And you can notice all three aspects of the Godhead in Scripture. Clearly in these last three passages. And not one is more important than the other. Not one of them says, but the most important thing is, doesn't say that. They all work together. They all are one. All are equal. Each is distinctive. All are unified. So we see the term Trinity really does mean tri-unity. That these three all work together in one. And that's an attempt to try and explain the biblical principles of God's oneness and God's threeness. The second thing is, where did the Trinity come from? How can we describe it? Well, hang on me for a little Christian lesson, a little Christian history lesson. The Trinity was first described and explained and defined by an early Christian named Tertullian. Say that. Tertullian. Walk around with your friends and say, I know about Tertullian now when you walk around. We've forgotten most of the early Christians and how much time they spent involved in developing the faith that we live out every day in our belief. He was a prolific writer and apologist for the church, meaning he defended it. He was the son of a Roman centurion. He was raised pagan. In the third century, he did this. Tertullian coined the phrase Trinity in approximately 200 A.D. In the year 200. Tertullian provided a definition that was true to the scriptures and it accounted for the three in one. But it did not attempt to remove the mystery. And this definition was confirmed by the church in 325 of the Council of Nicaea. This is one of the big defining moments for the church in its history when they came together. And it can be seen today in that creed, the Nicene Creed that came out of that movement. And it was carried by the church to defeat heretical teachings. It's hard for us to understand, but the early church was still fighting out what it is they believed. And there were all kinds of beliefs across the spectrum. And some of them were really out there. And one of the biggest fights they were dealing with was is that Jesus was only fully human. Or Jesus was only fully God. And not both. Some believe that when he got to the cross, that if he was fully God, there's no way God could die. So they actually substituted somebody else for him on the cross, and the God part left. Some believe that he was fully human, so he actually died on the cross, and then the God part somehow took over after that, but it was the fully human part that died on the cross without being God. And the church fought about this for a number of years, trying to figure out And so the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, both of those creeds, they they together began to form the basis of the very beginnings and the beliefs of the church. And Davis, if you can find that Apostles' Creed there towards the end of the service, I want to be able to use that, like we're doing 11. And the early church struggled with this whole doctrine of the Trinity Because a paradox. A paradox is a truth that exists in tension. We don't like tension. We don't like paradoxes. You know, the time travel paradox 
You think about time travel way too much in any movie, it'll fry your brain. You won't be able to figure it out. That's why they always talk about it. You saw the Avengers. The end game, the whole point was is that they explained time travel to you their own way so they could make their story work the way they wanted to work. And one of them said, don't think about it too much. It'll make your head hurt. Paradoxes are like that. They make your head hurt. Because as soon as you explain one thing, something else doesn't make any sense. You know, in time travel, can you go back and if you're killed in the past, do you exist in the future? It's always the big question, all the time travel stuff. The Trinity is like that. It's, it's a truth that exists in tension. But here's a graph that's helpful in describing the Trinity. It's been around a long time. It's called the Shield of the Trinity. Davis, give me a, give me a moment. He's working on my other thing, too, at the same time. That, uh, that quote by Tertullian, though, is a really good quote, too. You can't undo anything you've already done, but you can face up to it. Well, you might as well go back and finish it now. Go back. You can tell the truth. You can seek forgiveness and then let God do the rest. He was a wise man. Now, there we go. It's always best to remember that the Father is God, the Father, the Creator, that the Holy Spirit is God, the Comforter, the Sustainer, and the Son is God, the Redeemer. But they're not each other. And Trinitarianism is about a delicate balance between unity and diversity. You also see the is and the is not. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. This is how they would explain the Trinity for centuries upon centuries. And understanding it. And still... It's complex. It's a delicate balance between unity and diversity. All those images we used before, and I've done a sermon this a couple of years ago, but the image of the, of the shamrock, wrong. The image of water, gas, liquid, solid, wrong. Three-in-one shampoo, wrong. The sun gives off light and heat, energy, wrong. Pretty much any image that you can try to describe of the Trinity fails in one way or another called modalism and all these other kinds of big words. They don't work. They're either separate, distinctly separate, like you don't have water exist in the same form at the same time. It doesn't work the same way. You have to change in order to be able to be a solid or a liquid or gas, so that can't work. It has to still be unified as one. One substance. One divine substance. And today we begin our new summer series, the top seven songs of the faith, the great hymns of the faith remembered. Why only seven? Because we've got seven weeks. That's all you get. We don't have ten. These are the most beloved hymns of all time. They span different centuries, and all of them have amazing stories of how they were written and by whom.
And the hymns will not be in any kind of ranking. So we're not going to start with number one or number seven and work our way. It really kind of depended upon who was preaching and when they were available and how it worked itself out. And we'll keep you guessing about which one's going to come next summer. I purposely left things out of the bulletins to be able to make sure you can't figure out what it is just by looking at it. It's also not in the app because I can't trust you not to do that either. There's some clues. And there'll be clues running around, but you won't know what the clues are from anything else. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And people who are preaching are all different. Jared's preaching this summer, so that's his first time preaching here, so we're excited about that. Rick is preaching. Louise is preaching. Davis is preaching. Mitzi might be preaching if she thinks about one of those two that I texted her about. But the songs they've chosen are ones that are either important to them or important in the life of someone they know. And so I'm really excited to hear the story of how the song came about. That's one of the things we don't, we sing these songs all the time, but we don't ever tell the stories. Real people wrote these hymns, these songs, at a time during their lifespan that are really important. And they have some amazing stories of their lives beyond just writing these hymns. And it's really neat to hear some of those stories. And there's some some great ones that won't be part of the top seven or even part of the top ten you'd be surprised and shocked about. And the question will be, will your favorite hymn be one of the ones that we talk about this summer? Because you won't know. And after we've talked about it, we'll start to post then the list of ones we've talked about and kind of begin to build that countdown together. But today's hymn was written by Reginald Heber. Reginald Heber was born in Cheshire, England in 1783. He loved poetry, and by the time Heber was 20, he'd already penned a poem called Palestine, which won the prestigious Newgate Prize. Four years later, think of this, at the age of 24, he was writing numerous hymns. Heber intended for our top seven hymn written for Trinity Sunday, to be sung between the sermon and the creed by his parish. That was radical at his time, since hymn singing was prohibited in the Church of England liturgies. They would not, you're not allowed to sing hymns in the liturgy. In contrast, the Methodist societies in the 18th century were known for their hymn singing along with the dissenting churches that have been using the hymns of Isaac Watts for nearly a hundred years. Yes, that Isaac Watts, his hymns were banned from being used in the churches. They were heretical. They were the contemporary music of his day. All those great Isaac Watts hymns were nowhere to be found in the Church of England. You might even see one of those kind of hymns this summer The revolutionary, but they were labeled heretical. Now Heber was a man who helped to dispel the idea that hymns were associated with those horrible Methodists and those evangelicals who sang those horrible songs. And just this is kind of a side note. All that idea that all the Methodist songs were written to bar tunes, that's not even true. I wish folks stopped saying that. It's not a bar tune like you go to a bar. 
it's a kind of tune called a bar. They are written to bar tunes, but they're not going down to your local bar kind of tune. We like to kind of use that. We use all kinds of things that aren't really true that we keep spouting all the time, like things that John Wesley said that he didn't really say. But still, these, these hymns were outlawed in the church. And unfortunately, he failed to persuade the Church of England to grant permission for hymn singing during Sunday services while he was live. He still couldn't do it. He couldn't break through. In 1826, Reginald Heber died in British India from a stroke while bathing, leaving an impressive legacy within Christianity. That was because Heber was the Anglican bishop over all of British India from 1823 to 1826. A footnote in history to us, but obviously an impressive time of those three years. He worked tirelessly to build a training school for local clergy, and he traveled extensively around India preaching the gospel, and who knows what has come of his efforts over the centuries. So number two on our top seven list, this is number two for the summer is... What do you think? Holy, holy, holy. Are there enough clues for you today? This one's easy. I'm giving you this one. There's no way to hide Trinity Sunday away from holy, holy, holy. The only attribute of God to be repeated three times. Think about it. Three times. Holy, holy, holy. As if one or even twice, isn't enough to contain the holiness of God. Amen? So you can easily see its connection to the Trinity and why he would write it for Trinity Sunday back then. Holy, holy, holy is unique in many regards. Indeed, it spans many Christian traditions and centuries, unifying them in these four stanzas that are timeless. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Both Isaiah 6, 1 through 5 and Revelation 4, 2 through 11 inspire this hymn. You can see that in your app, those particular verses. It spans the Testaments, reminding us the Trisagon, the thrice holy, has been uttered in worship for centuries. For centuries, these words, holy, 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 have been uttered. Even newer praise songs. You've ever heard one today, Revelation song. You hear even modern music, our modern music, uses holy, holy, holy. Isaiah received his vision in the 8th century B.C. John the Apostle recorded his revelation in the 1st century, while Reginald Heber composed his hymn in 1826 in the 19th century. But what makes this hymn so special? First, it's the rhyme scheme. It's unique since all four lines of each stanza rhyme with the word holy. Have you ever noticed that? If you look at the words to hymns, which are poetry, you will notice that all four lines rhyme with the word holy. 
Almighty, the mighty Trinity, all rhyme with holy. One won't easily find another hymn written that way. There are hardly any. Another reason why Holy, Holy, Holy is the timeless hymn is it's paired with a well-known tune called Nicaea. Just like the Council of. Written by J.B. Dykes, named at the Council of Nicaea, where the nature of the Trinity was shaped theologically. It's almost like this is all pulled together just for this song. And Heber is careful to describe the Trinity without encroaching upon its mystery. It's especially evident within the phrase, Though the darkness hide thee. It's a mystery. See, see we sing these words all the, all the time, but if I ask you to try to describe them or explain them, you probably couldn't tell me. Though the darkness hide thee. That's the mystery. I can't see the Trinity completely. And this separation between God and man is exacerbated by sin. Though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, our sin keeps us from understanding the Trinity. And though we may not see or completely understand the Trinity in its fullness in this lifetime, Hebrews and Dyke's collaboration reminds those reminds us those are not reasons to preclude the worship of the Trinity, triune God. We don't have to understand the Trinity in order to be able to worship the triune God. Amen? And we are Trinitarian people. Have you ever seen a church called Unitarian? They are not Trinitarian. That's the difference. The Unitarian Universalist Church believes in one God, no Trinity. Unitarians believe the Trinity is not represented in the Scripture, and so they do not believe in it. The denomination that you are a part of, the United Methodists, as well as most all Protestant denominations, believe in the Trinity. That is our difference. It's our understanding. Then it goes on, Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love, in purity, Holy, holy, holy. So the third thing is, if we can't seem to explain the Trinity, then why does it matter? If we can't explain the Trinity, why does it matter? Without the Trinity, we lose the story of redemption and the gradual revelation of God to humanity. God the Father creates. We see the creative power of God. God the Son saves. We see the saving power of Christ. And God the Holy Spirit redeems. The redeeming power of the Spirit. I'd like to suggest to you the reason the Trinity matters is because our salvation hangs on the fact that Jesus is fully God as well as being fully human. And oftentimes people view the mystery of the Trinity as something negative. So they cannot get their minds around it. It must not be true. But I want you to lead today considering the Trinity from a different perspective. Consider the mystery. The mystery is a requirement of believing in God. The mystery is a requirement of believing in God and of God. And the mystery does not disqualify God, but rather enforces the fact that God is an unfathomable God. That God cannot fit into our box. 
That God is not defined by what we say about God. The early Christians would say, God is. In the next sentence they would say, God is not. Because they realized and they knew that there was no way they could describe God fully or adequately. You see, mystery is a requirement when the finite tries to consider the infinite. Mystery is a requirement when the finite tries to consider the infinite. Amen. So there you go. Your first song is holy, holy, holy. So you can write it down and keep track. That is number two of all time, according to four or five different places. That's a pretty good song. And so this morning as we come together, I just want you to focus in on the words of this next song and just focus on the words of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of this song, I'm going to invite those who are coming to join to come forward and be present up here. And we're going to say the words of coming together as members together in Christ this morning. So let's stand and sing as we focus ourselves on God this morning.
God, take our will. Conform us. Only is what we desire. It's what we're looking for. What we need in our life. And allow us to the power of the Trinity to be able to understand your holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Lord, you are God Almighty. Amen. Have a seat. Invite those coming forward to join. Come on up here. And let's join together. And I also invite those who'd like to come stand with them, who have made friendships with them and have begun to develop those friendships, to come stand with them too. That means people in this congregation don't let somebody stand up here alone. Do I need to be more particular about that? Thank you. And if you don't know them yet, guess what? You'll get to know them. Otherwise, I'll make you guys stand up here by yourself too and see how you like it. This morning we have, as we gather together in this place, come on up, yeah, you're getting there. Yeah, because some of people are actually their Sunday school teachers and stuff too, come on. This morning we have to you, Mary Sue Childers is right here, she's right here, Chris, Roger, Allie are right here, Tabitha and Chris Mims. And then you also have their kids, which I have their names down. I always forget all the kids' names. Tell me the kids' names. Ooh, go ahead, Cassie. Tell them all. Good job. Awesome. They're twins. They're running around. And then there's a girl who's a little older. And so they're like, and they have their hands full, people. And they have their hands full. And the bakers know what it's like to have twins and another daughter. So uh, make sure you can make connection with the bakers always. So we're glad that you're all here. We've found a place to belong. That's really the most important thing as we gather together today for this joining June. And, and we hope that you'll find a place to continue to belong and to believe and to become. So we ask you the questions of what it means to be part of a community of faith. Do you reject the evil powers of this world, repent of your sin, and promise to serve Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you do, say, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and put your whole trust in His grace? If you do, say, I do. And according to that grace, will you live according to what God has led you to be and and to do and live into the life of what it means to be a Christian full of love and grace and truth? If you will, say, I will. And you profess the scripture as found in the Old and New Testaments that it contains all things necessary for salvation. If you do, say, I do. And you promise to participate in Good Shepherd with your prayers and your presence and your financial gifts and your service, and your witness, if you will, say, I will. I welcome you to the household of God. We are glad that you're here, Good Shepherd. We're glad you found your place. And we look forward to getting to know you better in the future. And before you leave, so will you do all in your power to confirm them in faith and perfect them in love and care for them? If you will do these things this morning, that everybody say, I will. And please greet them after the service this morning. We'll all be standing out there. You have a chance to greet them and make some new friends and get to know these great, new, wonderful people of the Good Shepherd family. So let us stand and sing as we close together and come into this place and receive this benediction of holy, holy, holy. Hear the words again. Listen to the words this time and know that God is so holy. God can't be contained in just one word. It takes even three and even that's not enough. May we live that holiness in our life that God has given to us. Amen.
those who've joined, come join me at the back and let's go back out to the back. Holy, holy.